Hi, Black Hollywood Live fans. Today, we are talking the Orlando Massacre, Michael Jace, and more on Justice is Served. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Live's Justice is Served. Hello, hi, and welcome to Justice is Served, where we cover the latest in legal news every single week. I am your host, Chelsea Galicia, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Shaka Smith, and Yemi Abayami. Did I say that right? Close. Oh, dang it. Abayami. Abayami. Gosh, I love the way it rolls off the tongue when I say it correctly. So sorry about that, but thank you so much for being here. We've got some tragedy to cover, of course, and some other cases involving guns and some other cases. Um So we have to start out talking about the massacre in Orlando that occurred. And uh, already the questions are, you know, how did this happen? How can it be prevented? We've got the father of the shooter blaming the club itself. Is there or could there be a day when the club is legally liable for that? Uh, We've got charges perhaps for the wife of the shooter. So, so many angles to talk about this from a legal standpoint. Um, what are the first things that come to your mind when you hear about yet another mass shooting? Just, yeah, it should end, right? Right, right but in my mind, I hear, here we go again. Is right. something going to happen? Is anything going to change? Quite honestly, I think I have a little bit more of a skeptical um, thought on it after Sandy Hook, after you know yeah. twenty young children in Connecticut suburbs are are killed and, and nothing happens to me. It just made me think that, that that's kind of the most protected class you have in this society is yeah. young suburban children. And if nothing changed in that instance, what's going to change with you know Latinos at a gay club? Right. I, I don't I just don't know. But I'm I'm hopeful, but I'm I'm skeptical. My thoughts yeah, I, exactly. I'm, I, something's got to change. I would yeah. think in this current uh, climate and political culture. Uh, and you know, after Sandy Hook, I think you saw the politics really enter into it very strongly because you did have this group that you know people do kind of look at and say we have to get something done, and it wasn't done. Yeah. And so now I think this tragedy is going to be the tipping point to see something um, change. Well, what I'm going to say about what wasn't done, I know that in California, uh, no, this is actually uh, U.S. Um, across the country. Just after the San Bernardino shootings in December, the uh, Senate took up a bill that would have prevented somebody who's on a terror watch list from getting a gun. And all 54 no's came from Republicans. Uh, There was one Republican who voted yes on that. Democrats voted yes, Republicans voted no on that. Um, And it's been sort of similar to that where we can kind of very clearly point to one party who is just hell-bent on not changing anything. And I think it's probably because they're controlled by a large moneyed interest like the NRA, who even if these politicians haven't been bought outright by them, they are operating under the fear of the NRA that the NRA will endorse or douse their opponent with money in the next election cycle if they don't toe the line. So for that reason and mostly for that reason, the money and politics, that's what it keeps coming back to the way that I see it. I don't think much will change. Well, uh, you know, for me, I think what we're seeing now is the electorate becoming educated about the issue. After Sandy Hook, people were outraged, but I don't think people quite understood 
what could be done. It, it was an idea that was kind of put forth of guns or no guns. So people thought those were the only two options. But now we're seeing things like this no-fly, no-buy rule. We're seeing things like ban on assault rifles and what that, what that really means. Right. Well, but and the so, problem yeah, is, PR push too. And, and, and President Obama has said this, that, you know, Congress right now won't allow gun deaths to be studied even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just even the most minute things, you know, the ban on assault rifles, you know, they were banned. Uh, President Clinton banned them. And then the expiration for that came up in 2004. And under Bush, we did not retreat. Uh, what do I, what's the word I'm looking for? We they we let them ex, we let yeah. the ban expire without renewing it. So I think we're going to see a big a big change here. I think it's largely the message that's being sent to the public. After Sandy Hook, the big message was mental health, but now we're looking at guns um, particularly, and I think that's going to be a big difference here. I, I was just going to say I was actually really surprised and kind of encouraged when I heard that even Donald Trump, for example, kind of separating from the. Republican Party lines of, you know, not changing anything with respect to our gun laws. I know that he's going to have a meeting with the NRA. Yeah, I think um, he did have a meeting. I think it was yesterday. And I, I don't know what came of that. Um, but the NRA is, like, more concerned about the due process right of people who are put on the no-fly list yeah. of their right to um, be able to get themselves off that list. Which First, is, yeah. uh, before a gun is taken away from that, I just, the priorities in there are so weird because we are so, when I say we, people who believe so strongly in the Second Amendment don't look to the other amendments. Like, we have freedom of speech. That's in the First Amendment. But we all know that there are limitations Limitations. on that. You can't Mm -hmm. incite violence or you can't... um, um, Try and like, I can't say, hey, Shaka, can you uh, kill Yemi for me? I'll pay you 50 grand. That kind of speech is illegal. So we have uh, uh, amendments or in our Bill of Rights, right, that we know are not total and absolute. Yeah. Same thing with the Fourth Amendment and privacy and search from police and the government. We know that the government is operating, is doing mass surveillance on us, sometimes even with our own phones, and they have not gotten a warrant for that. And people are not as outraged about that as they seem to be about protecting this right to bear arms, except they also don't seem to see the part in the language which says, for a well-regulated militia. Well, I think Shaka is right in terms of there does need to be some sort of general PR campaign, because I do think in America generally there, amongst these gun rights advocates, there is a misperception that we're talking about a very, very solid line that's either you can have guns or you can't have guns. Rather than having limitations, which is a very different thing, you can still have your guns. We understand that hunting is a part of the American tradition. Even self-defense, I get that. But there are, does an an individual, does a civilian need an AR-15 or something that can shoot off however many rounds in a matter of of seconds? Is it so controversial to have background checks for people to make sure that um, people who are on no-fly List or people who have a history of mental uh, health yeah. issues. These things are reasonable, but I think a lot of people are failing to understand the nuanced nature of what uh, having certain limitations on, on guns. Right. But so I will this- say I do see the value in the due process rights of getting making sure that you're not on the no-fly list incorrectly. 
And so they're... Okay, but can we, like, hold off on the guns until you get off the... I'm all no, fine. No, that's what they're saying. But they're saying there needs to be a due process way to get off the no-fly list if you were mistakenly put on the no-fly list. Okay, but that one... Which is very it, difficult to... But that to, one issue is going to hold up any conversation about any kind of gun reform. Well, it's just crazy to me that that little... I understand that, and that's like a It should hold up the entire conversation. But it, apparently it has. Yeah, we can deal with the assault rifles ban separately than the no-fly, no-buy list, you know? So this this guy who committed the massacre, and I don't even like want to say his name because I don't want to be part of the sort of um, creating of him as the uh, this like pseudo-celebrity well, almost I, that I, happens. Hopefully there's no worry of that with this. <laughs> or copycats or things yeah. like that. But he... You know, up until the moment that he started shooting, hadn't done anything illegal, even though he had been under FBI investigation, still could get a gun legally. And so when his wife goes with him to buy ammunition and people are saying, oh, the the wife uh, aided and abetted him, abated, uh, 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 helped him do what? Do something that was legal, drove him to purchase a, a gun and ammunition that, by the letter of the law, that was legal. But it sounds like she knew there might exactly. have been at least an attack on the horizon. She said she tried to talk him out of an attack. Yeah, and he had um, spoken of doing an attack multiple times. And he had and, gone to scope and, out, like, and Disney And he had World. gone to scout with him. Okay, Disney but so let's, yeah. let's, right. l- let's play this out, okay? Yeah. So she knows that he is up to, to something. He's looking mm-hmm. around for months. He's buying these guns. He... he but she doesn't know what day, what night, what he's going to do. So well, let's just say she calls the police. Mm-hmm. I think my husband is going to kill people. What do you expect Orlando police to do? Watch him 24-7? Well, and, and every time a, a wife calls and says, I think my husband is going to do something, we're going to require the police to put them under 24-hour surveillance. I, we don't have the resources for that. I, I don't think it's every day that people call and say, I think my husband is going to be involved in a mass shooting. It's not also every day that she, she can say, oh, I also went with him to buy the ammo. So I th- and the you know so and the So at that holster. point though nothing illegal had had happened. So what it, do you expect police to do? Oh, I expect police I expect police to put this guy under surveillance. If you tell if you're called and told that someone is playing a mass shooting and that the caller themselves went to buy the ammo and the holster with them and, and you've scouted and, the places. And this is someone that the FBI has interviewed on oh, three yeah. occasions within I, the past 2 years. I think that's a huge huge distinction between some kind of Cornbread citizen who you know yeah. has no no history of, of um, ties to terrorism has not pledged uh, allegiance to certain terrorist organizations and getting a call that I'm I'm worried about this person making some strange comments. This yeah. guy had I mean to one get a call from the person's wife. This is someone who's supposed to care about him that she's nervous about something that's going to happen. You've been interviewed on multiple occasions by the FBI. Your coworkers have stated that uh, you've made unusual comments about, you know, certain terrorist attacks being, you know, worth it or, or meaningful. Yes, I do think there probably should be some heightened if, surveillance in, in those cases. If she I, makes I, that call, I don't think this happens. If she makes that 911 call, I don't think this happens. And, and I guess when I play the situation out in my head, I can see police officers being like, 
uh, what are they supposed to do? What if it takes him another year before he actually I think, I does think, it? We will we will put people under surveillance I, I, for I, a year? I understand well, your the, p- point because, yeah. I mean, there there are a limitation on resources, on FBI resources. That's without question. There's also, you know, certain privacy laws. You know, someone that hasn't committed a crime, right. you know, there there are limitations on how much you can kind of surveil and They could have brought him in for that. questioning. You know, and that might have been something that might have chilled this idea in him. You know, and so at the point that you're buying ammunition, I think the police are going to take a hard look and, and at and, least bring in for questioning. And, and casing out places Play, yeah. as well. So it's not, oh, I'm just this buying is not dinner room conversation. Yeah, because I'm a gun enthusiast. But now I'm actually looking for locations. Yeah. So a grand jury has been out. convened to consider charging her. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think she should be charged? Oh, 100%. Uh, I think, it, to me, it's clear that she knew an attack was imminent and it was close, and she did nothing to stop it, and she could have... And there are reports that she dropped him off at the place. No, she... No, there are reports she dropped I, him off that that evening at Pulse. I, I, I was... I heard that he told her, <laughs> I'm going to go out with to a friend's house or something of that nature. So I just... My... And I have, of course, no idea. I think in her, in her mind, she knew that he was maybe thinking about doing something, but didn't have any, like, I'm going to do it Saturday night. She, I, she knew enough I, that she knew it was going to happen any, time, any moment. And So, so what, what I want to know is exactly because, how much did she know, because... And it, personally, it, I feel she knew it was going to happen. I knew, I, I believe she knew that night. But, but she, but she yeah. said already something about when, she, when, when he left the house that night... Um, that you know, she wasn't sure. She thought it might be possible. She, she that said to might be not do anything violent. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, it almost feels like she is being scapegoated. There are so many oh, other things before. No. <laughs> I don't, I don't see that she is involved. Like a conspiracy. That's part of the conspiracy. To conspiracy me. is usually we're doing this together. Yeah, we both agree. want this. So, the intent was for her. To be part of causing these people to be killed, and I don't think she had that intent. I, I wouldn't. I don't necessarily think it's going to be, for example, a conspiracy charge. I think to the as they learn more information about exactly what she knew and how much she knew, I think they're there to the extent that they can charge her with something. I think people will because this is a very very heinous act. It might not be conspiracy. I agree it, it, because that requires yes, we agreed to do this and we're kind of in this together. I get from what the reports that I've heard, it doesn't seem. It seems like she's trying to talk him out of it. But as you mentioned. Aiding a betting and abetting. Are you assisting in the commission of this crime by was, by taking him to the guns, knowing that knowing that this is what his plan was? Are you assisting in the commission of the crime by taking him to the to the gun store, taking him to buy ammunition and buy that but holster? All of those were legal activities. Buying all the that the guns, the holsters, the ammunition. All, that was a legal act. Most of what you do before before you have a conspiracy to murder is legal. The, but the, the, but the difference is that there's an intention that she intended I, I, for this I outcome. I have to argue that the more she continues to go along and to scout places for him to shoot, that she completely formed the intention. So, yes. if, if that not... She was not under hostage. She was, so, yeah. cons- conspiracy would be the hardest thing to prove. The other option is that she owed a duty to report it and didn't. Now, generally, in the public, we don't have a, re- a duty to report crimes. Only... Um, Oh gosh, what's it called? The psychiatrists, under certain uh, nurses, School teachers, uh, mandatory reporters. That's yeah. the term I'm looking for. Mandatory mm-hmm. reporters. So we don't all walk around with a duty to report. And I, this must be a state by state issue because I don't believe in California that I'm aware of any law that requires you to report something. 
Yes, it's only in a minority of states in the U.S. do you have a duty to report. I think in Texas, if you know that there's going to be harm, bodily harm on somebody, there is a duty. I think in Ohio, if you know someone's going to commit a felony, but that's definitely an aberration. Not a lot of states do this. In most situations, it, the, the charges that might come along with your failure to report involves kind of presenting false statements to the police or trying to conceal evidence or harboring the fugitive. But that, but so, so your liability doesn't come from your failure to report the crime. It just comes from actions that you take in, in an effort to kind of obstruct justice or conceal the, the crime. And you so, made a number of conflicting statements that police were saying were in furtherance of obstructing justice, so... All right. So, I mean, that's the easiest. That's like sort of the bottom of the barrel. If you can't find anything else, you just convict or charge them with obstruction of justice. It's kind of like the throwaway. Yeah. And I wonder whether, you know, maybe she'll try to say, um, I don't know, like I was in fear, like this guy has been abusive before. I was in fear for my life to even say anything or report anything or I don't know. I have a feeling she'll be arrested and charged, I think. Uh, I think she was maybe a reluctant participator, but a participator nonetheless. And I guess the authorities are saying that she's being cooperative, so that might go easier towards her sentence. Mm -hmm. But, uh, okay, so maybe there really are legitimate charges. Now the unbelievable statement by the father who blames the club for not having adequate security. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it seems so offensive, and, like, he, he and Brock Turner's dad must hang out because... They both say the most unbelievable things. I mean, is there like a breed of bad dads going around? (laughs) Because uh, I just was shocked to hear this. But when I gave it a second thought, I could see the day. And I don't think in this case the, the club will be liable. But I could see the day where if these mass shootings are common occurrence enough that that negligence standard of did you know or you should have known that there was a certain danger well, to your uh, and, guests, then you then have a duty to protect. And so if these mass shootings become so commonplace, any uh, place that's open to the public could conceivably develop a duty to protect you from a shooter. Yeah, I mean, it's reprehensible, but I think the father brought up a good point in terms of the duties of clubs or public spaces. So maybe not against mass shooting, but an emergency. Why was there, like, why did it take so long for people to realize what was happening? And when it did, you know, so many lives were Probably lost. Probably because it was well, dark. Well, and loud music, yeah. thumping music. A lot of people didn't know whether the, he, the gunshots were a part of the music. And, and then you start to think, is there anything we could have done to prevent that? He came in through the back door. Was there security on the back door? How did that take place? And so uh, there are questions surrounding the club security measures that I think do need to be answered. So I think we can all agree that a nightclub is going to have a duty to their patrons. Security of some sort, yeah. Mm-hmm. And But the thing is, and so, and so the father, when he's saying, oh, well, this club, they should, it, it was, they didn't have enough security, they didn't, they were having 300 and 400 people at the club. The problem wasn't having so many people at the club. The problem was one particular shooter yeah. who had this rifle that could shoot off so many rounds that even the security guards that encountered him simply, could, they couldn't stop him oh, before yeah. He was able to do such damage. So, to me, that club provided security within reasonable within reasonable expectations. You expect to have a few number of security but, guards. Uh, but do we know if anyone was at the at the door that the guy entered? 
I, I, I'm not sure, but I, mean, I do know the, he encountered. It was the end of the night. They had just, they had just called yeah. last call, so I, maybe at the end of the night. But I think lives would be lost, but whether or not they could have been mitigated, that that loss could have been mitigated, I, I just, do think is a somewhat valid question here. I just don't know how you mitigate loss against such a powerful weapon that's going to knock out if, if, a, if, many, if, many if people even in one, one... If even one security guard could have slowed him down or alerted people to him coming, that means a few more people exiting before he, they get shot. I, I, so, I, I don't... Is there loss mitigation is a question. I think it's a valid question. I, uh. I, I, don't th- I, yeah. I, I can't see how the, the club would be held responsible. Now, had they if, received I, threats if there before, was another... Yeah. Right. If there, if had that they received had happened, threats before... Now, the next nightclub where this happens could be a different story because now we're all alert to, wow, this, this could happen. That's a, that's a expectation almost that you need to have is that some crazy person can, can come in and just start shooting. That's true, but I think it also matters, is this club operating within reason? I think it's yeah. reasonable to say that the average club is not thinking of a, sh- a shooter coming Soon in. Soon enough, though, and that, and that might change. And when, with enough of these mass shootings, that, might, that and, mindset yeah. might change. And egress and op- like different ways of movability to get through clubs. Sometimes there's only one entrance and one they exit. Had multiple, and, they had yeah. multiple exits in this case. So, 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 I mean, they weren't, if they had been shot down by the fire department because they didn't have safe exits. Then that would have been one yeah. thing, but that doesn't seem to be the case. This yeah. place had was legally operating. Yeah, so I think they won't be held liable, but I think it's a question you always need to ask in any case like this. So now there is a duty. Age. Yeah, there's a duty. So what? Soon enough, all business owners are going to have to have mass shooting liability. Well, the insurance <laughs> companies are going to make a fortune off of this. Well, maybe if some of these gun laws change, that won't be necessary. Well, maybe. But, yeah. So we'll the the. Argument that a lot of pro gun people make is that if there was a good guy in there with a gun, they could have stopped this. And for me, I think, hold on a minute. You want to make, first of all, everybody allowed to have a gun. And in a place like this, the normal danger in a nightclub is that drunk people will get into a fight. That's the most reasonable risk that I think I'm assuming when I go into a nightclub. So you want to give people who are going to a place to drink alcohol, and we know sometimes people who drink alcohol get into fights. You want them to have guns on them while they're dancing, intoxicating, and it just... That doesn't well, make sense to me. Well, usually there are rules if you're allowed to conceal carry in like a bar or restaurant. If, if you have that law, usually there are rules regarding that person drinking. So that person may not be allowed to have a drink, but you may be able but to But so how is a bartender a bar. supposed to know if they've got a concealed weapon on them or not? Well, I mean, I guess that would be something that would be determined after something took place. That might right. Heighten, that might but, heighten your... But, or if someone were to view you. But I, I, I don't actually want to have this conversation with the program person because I'm sure I would just end up um, <laughs> annoyed that their logic was totally <laughs> off. But I'm, I'm wondering if you guys can can speak for them what they might say in that situation do we want to have everybody walking into a club with a gun well i I understand the general logic yeah but you think so this guy starts shooting starts spraying these bullets you think one guy's gonna come i hear that argument and it makes me lose my mind whenever i hear people (laughs) saying that oh like if only everyone had a gun or if only you know the, the the teachers in sandy hook had guns to defend i think everyone for me i believe that situations just escalate that much quicker and that much more when people know that they have this kind of chi- this chip in their pocket and they can pull out a gun and it doesn't even necessarily have to be a terror attack. It could be someone stepped on my shoe at the club yeah. and yeah, I'm a little bit. I'm not drunk. How about I'm a Aaron bit Hernandez, yeah. who is set, who uh, I'm not even sure if that second trial has 
completed or Aaron Hernandez was convicted murders, yeah. of of one murder but he was charged with another where he was con- where he was charged with shooting into a car of a guy who spilled a drink on him in the club right so we'd see that kind of situation and i think we'd see that Frequently, yeah, and I, I think what's important to understand here is even if everyone had guns, this guy had an assault rifle. So, so basically, we uh, have to, everybody has to up their game. So you can't just have a little pistol. Yeah. Right. Everyone's got to walk around with an assault rifle. That for me is just not a society that I want to live in. Yeah, and so I, I think this will highlight that that particular difference. All right. Well, um, anything else that you see as a legal consequence of? Of this story. And then similarly, there was a guy who was found here in L.A., actually in Santa Monica, who was driving out from Indiana. Uh, James Howell was found to have three assault rifles in his trunk, along with handcuffs. A badge, a security badge. Right. Some chemicals. Chemicals. Five gallons of chemicals. Yeah. High-capacity ammo. (laughs) Saying he was off to the L.A. Pride Parade. Yeah. So he has been arrested, and he yesterday pled not guilty. Um, and Shaka, I think, should play his defense attorney because <laughs> <laughs> earlier he was saying something that made me go, "Huh? What?" Was that? what? Well, that you said that he that it's it's believable that he could be a security officer with that with that stuff. No, what, what I was saying. <laughs> okay, I'd be I'd be glad to be wrong about that. But what? It, well, no, correct I, me. I had realized that they'd found the badge and handcuffs in the car as well. So I didn't know if he was involved with some security personnel that might then somehow explain why he had the other. You know, if he was the head of a some sort of security unit. Maybe he had Do we to, have heads of security units with assault rifles no, no, on them? He's, if, he's, if he's working for private security, I have no idea. But I didn't know if he might have ha- had a way to explain some of the, the things he had with him. So, all right, this is actually a, kind of an aside. How old do you even have to be to purchase a gun? Do we know this? I, I, I'm thinking, I don't know the answer. He, I would assume 18. 18? I don't know. I wasn't sure whether it would be 18 <laughs> or 21. This guy is only 20 years old, yeah. so I'm thinking to put him in such a you know high oh, level no. of responsibility. Yeah, I, I just wanted to know what his explanation was. Uh, because it, it's such an unusual think, thing, and then he pled not guilty. So I wanted to know what you know, what plausible reason did you have these chemicals? And I believe his defense offered that the chemicals were for gun range shooting. Yeah. You know, so I, I just wanted to hear more uh, as to why he pled not guilty from him. Oh, that's very nice of you. We we know that <laughs> right. I think that is a very generous view, given that we know that he's not even supposed to have guns in the first place. He has some charges back in Indiana that required him to give up his guns. He was convicted of um, intimidation. He pointed a loaded gun at his neighbor. He did the same thing to his his boyfriend, um, and so it was a misdemeanor. But he, as a part the, of with the neighbor's boyfriend, no, no, the, his, his his own, own boyfriend. And oh. then I, I wasn't aware that he yeah was gay, but that is or his ex boyfriend. Yes, interesting. Yes, yes. Um, and so he was as a part of this deal, he was supposed to relinquish his gun, so he shouldn't have even had guns in the and first place. He yeah. was under investigation in Indiana for having sex with a twelve-year-old. Oh, and thanks so much, Zach. We are just getting word that it's oh. eighteen years old. Eighteen, yeah. To buy, uh, and that sort you can of go makes to war, sense. You can buy a gun. That's exactly the logic that I was going <laughs> to use. Okay, thanks so much for that, Zach. <laughs> Um, so the the prosecutor said that what the guy had in his trunk is the same thing that the Oklahoma bomber Timothy McVeigh had in his trunk. So I mean, we know how how damaging that was. Uh, hundreds of people died. Oh, yeah. Was that correct? I, I know that I was 
really young, but I remember when that happened. Yeah, and to have something like that happen, potentially at the Pride Parade, um, so disturbing. The, the other piece of this maybe that I wanted to go over with you guys is that this was quickly called a terror attack mm-hmm. going back to, to Orlando, and it occurred at a gay club. And this other uh, gentleman, James Howell, who's on his way, you know, was taking weapons to a, a pride parade. So is, the, is there any difference to you that the focus is on, like, he was terror, he's a terrorist because he supposedly called up police and pledged allegiance to ISIS? Um, does that make it a different kind of, of crime, something more serious or something more dangerous than, uh, than a hate crime to... The gay community. No. In my mind, it doesn't. Yeah. I think, you know, terror is defined as taking an action meant to invoke fear in people based on an ideological goal, a religious goal, a political goal. So regardless of whether it has to do with, you know, being against ISIS or being yeah. against gay people, and uh, the principle is still the same. And if people often do, sometimes they have a certain motive and then they co-opt uh, a certain tool to um, use to get to that motive. And based on the information coming out from um, the shooter in Orlando, his background, his history, having been at these gay clubs, it looks like he may have been gay himself. It it almost makes you wonder whether or not the main focus was his own internal turmoil and he was able to grasp onto ISIS as a way to promulgate And one of the reasons for me bringing this up is because a year ago, or I think we're near the anniversary date of the shooting in the uh, Charleston Church. Oh, yeah. Right? So that... That shooting killed nine black people and was not called a hate crime uh, or terror, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and should it have been. Anyways, I so have to move on because we have so many other stories to cover and not enough time to get into um, so much into it as I, as I wish we did. But um, the next step for James Howell is to sit and wait because he's probably not going anywhere with $2 million, $2 million dollars yeah. bail. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if we ever find out what he was really up to. Switching gears, but yet to another gun story. Um, Actor Michael Jace, who starred in S.H.I.E.L.D., was convicted of murdering his wife and sentenced to 40 years. Um, First of all, oh my God. Uh, The oh my God part for me about this, worse than the fact that um, he knowingly shot her was that his 10-year-old son had to testify against him because he pled not guilty. He said he shot her but didn't intend to kill her. And so the 10-year-old son testified to hearing his father taunt his mother before she was actually shot and killed. Um, What does this bring up for you? Is the 40 years fair thing does, is this one more component to the gun law that we should change? What came up for you when you read this story? I, I just thought it was unbelievable, and I thought it was unfortunate. Um, 
want, because it seemed over such a, a small thing. So apparently the wife had threatened to leave him. She wanted a divorce. And apparently he had had in his mind that she was having an affair, although there's no evidence that that was actually the case. And so here you have someone who sat and waited for her to come home. She brought the boys home from, from baseball practice. At the time, the kids were eight and five years old. Brought them home from baseball pack practice. He was sitting in the in the dining room waiting for them. And then at some point, you know, the, the children went upstairs and he shoots the, the wife three times. Um, I think during trial, he only said, oh, I, I just meant to shoot her in the leg. That was all I meant to do. But, you know, evidence obviously shows otherwise. He, he shot, shot her in the back and you yeah. shot her twice in front of these kids. It was just So what came terrible. up for you was that he was lying in wait and this should have been a first degree rather than the second degree that he was convicted of. I, I, I can't say whether he was lying in wait. I know that he was certainly anticipating their return home. I don't know whether he was sitting at the dining room table with the gun in his lap, which to me would suggest lying in wait, or whether they, you know, she mentioned having a divorce, getting a divorce again, and that kind of set him off. Um, but I, I, but one, I just thought it was a ridiculous reaction to a request for a divorce. I think it's even worse and when you put the she, children... she hadn't filed yet. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. when you put the, when, you, when the children are involved and they're seeing it and you have a 10-year-old boy testifying that you were taunting the mother, telling her to run to heaven. That he would, uh, that is the worst thing ever, that he, when he's watching his child walk up there knowing how traumatizing it is for the boy to have to relive this, that he didn't just say, you know what, just, uh, I'm Uh, I'm guilty. I don't don't think there's any rational thought when it comes to people. (laughs) And he said there was no rational thought. He thought um, heat of passion. I, I don't buy that for a single moment. Do you have any empathy for that kind of uh, well, defense in this case? Well, well, heat of passion is one of those nebulous, not nebulous defenses. We, we have it tied down. It's got to be certain instances where you exhibit a heat of passion. And something, you walk in on the wife cheating on you. Like like in the act. In the like act. Something of a... But I do it's think... Not big, I'm upset yeah. because yeah. you told me something I don't want to hear. But I do right. think things do set people off where they have their own passion. And I think maybe the divorce triggered something in him that he couldn't stop. But it's unfortunate, and I do think 40 years uh, to life is appropriate. So at 58, I think, you know, Oof. it's essentially a life sentence. So. Yeah. All right. Um, so now I want to talk about this really disturbing story from New York City schools. There have been three young girls who have, um, in some form or another, sex or oral sex or some sort of sexual behavior going on at school or with uh, other students, and the girls were suspended or told to transfer. Um, how, how did you take this when you saw it? Well, so disappointing, and I, I think it really speaks to a culture of the way they're looking at minority urban youth, um, especially minority urban females, where they're reporting sexual assault and the school administrators are determining it's consensual. And that something this is somehow these girls want it. I don't even think consent should be an issue. Well, I, think, I mean, well, yes, well, yeah. it's an issue for whether it's like rape or not. But whether this the girl should be suspended, and in and in this suit that we that came to light, which is why we know about these stories, it doesn't say anything about what happened to the boys. Yeah. And um, I, I would assume that the boys 
maybe nothing happened to them, and it's the girls who are being suspended. In at least one of the cases, one of the boys was suspended for a month. For a month, uh, but this, but but even when he came back to school, this girl had to sit in three classes with him, uh, lunch, gym. They had, I think, a music course together. So you can imagine the type of environment that is creating for this. For this, and then she tried to transfer and had a really hard time doing that. She tried to transfer to like an art school, and she had to go through the whole audition process. They wouldn't let her wave out of that, and then they didn't even let her in. And then she had to—I mean, making it so difficult for for somebody. Do you think it's because nobody believes these girls were victims of anything? Yeah, and I think they have this culture of thinking that this is consensual, and these young black girls wanted this sort of sexual promiscuity at thirteen and fourteen. And so and, yeah. what about the story? There was one story uh, where on videotape a girl was sodomized, yeah. right? So the tape appears to be consensual, but, like, when you have – and I'm, I'm not sure if this is the same story or another – where there's an act being done and then there's other boys around sort of standing guard. Is that really so consent, you, even if she thinks – I just, I, I'm having such a hard time seeing why the issue in these was like consent or not. Yes, that matters for criminal charges, but for this kind of behavior at school, it doesn't even matter if it was consensual or not. The girls should not be alone being well, yeah, we had punished the, this we way. We had the one case of the girl in the stairwell, five people watching, and she was performing oral sex with two additional guys. And I think that speaks to that that culture of racism and sexism, of viewing these women as like temper and women children, viewing these children Kids, yeah. as sort of temptresses that are wanting this behavior. So is this, I mean, how far is this removed from, like, we let the boys get away with it, and then we get, you know, they go to college and they turn into Brock Turner, and we're all shocked. Yeah. So is schools, should they be playing a harsher role in, in preventing future Brock Turners? I mean, they definitely should be taking an active role. So these schools, any school that gets federal funding, they're required by Title IX to create a a neutral environment for education so there cannot be any sexual discrimination in terms of your access to education and so when you have these allegations of assault by law schools are required to at the very least investigate these crimes they're required to um, let the uh, let the child know of certain resources that are available to them, whether it's counseling, whether it's yeah. health services, whether it's the ability to transfer schools or classes. So even if a, a criminal charge is not being pursued and even if law enforcement isn't getting involved, the schools still have a duty to the children that are involved and particularly to the to the individual who's claiming that an assault took place. So my question is, are those things happening? Yeah, and we don't know the answer to that. At the, well, I think time. We, it, I think it look looks like, like they're not happening. Right. So, right. yeah, they're all under investigation. Exactly. I mean, I think they said the Board of Education has maybe 80 cases, something like that. For, in March of 2016, 80-some-odd 80, 80 cases. 82 schools, yeah. Whereas in 2014, it was just, you know, 20-some-odd cases. But in this last case where the girl was sodomized, I mean, she wasn't advised of her Title IX rights. She wasn't um, advised of the fact that, you know, she was due an investigation. She wasn't advised of, you know, just a lot of things that the schools are required to to do. All right. And very quickly, we're going to cover one last story, and we're going to play psychic and see how we think this case is going to turn out. The uh, third officer in the Freddie Gray um, death right. is being tried right now. So the first officer hung jury, second officer, the judge, um, acquitted because the um, officers have opted for no juries. 
or at least the, the second officer. So this officer is the driver of the van, Caesar Goodson, and the prosecution has said that he didn't um, uh, seatbelt Freddie Gray into the back of the van and then drove recklessly, not even recklessly, but purposely intending to, to hurt him by giving him a rough ride. So uh, the trial is underway. Um, he, this officer is charged with the most serious of the crimes, manslaughter um, and depraved heart murder. Very quickly, do you believe there will be a conviction in this case? Yeah, I mean, there was testimony saying that those officers on the scene were responsible for that seatbelt policy, and there it looks like there may have even been a moment where he stopped and saw that Freddie Gray was injured and kept driving. So I think for the rough ride, I think it's very likely he'll be convicted of manslaughter. Even though this is the same judge who has overseen I, the other two, acqui- the acquittal and the hung jury. I think he's the most culpable based on what I've seen so far. So. All right. Yummy, what's your... I, I agree. Yes. I think you, once you've placed this man into custody, you do have a certain level of duty of care to this individual who, let me just add, was arrested without probable cause. I mean, remember, it was two bicycle cops that made eye contact with him, and he started running away. You're allowed to run away. That's that's not illegal. Um, But you do have a duty of care, and it seems like they made multiple stops on this trip around Baltimore where he's shackled, they're putting him on the ground, he's saying, I need medical attention on multiple occasions, but in no instance did they render med- medical services to him uh, until they got to the station. Yeah, if it, if he's not convicted, I don't think any of the officers oh, will be convicted yeah, of anything, so we'll be far. following this one very closely. And So please join us next week for the update on this story, all other stories, and the next stories that will certainly be coming out, um, updates on the Orlando massacre, and anything else legal, join us here on Just This is served next week. Bye-bye now. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us. Info at BlackHollywoodLive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagram, at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.